basically every office building in the city foreclosed. We were one of the few firms that partnership was still intact. And so when the life companies called down to their servicers and said, who can I get to manage these assets? Uh, we were one of the few on the scene at the time that were still relevant, had an active management company. That's when we really made the transition from full-time development into third-party services, management, leasing. Welcome to the Broker Lord Podcast. I'm glad you're here. I'm your host, Derek Walchek. I'm a commercial broker and developer, and I love real estate. That's why we're here. I'm on a quest to talk to the best broker in all 50 states who have successfully added rental income to their portfolio. I want to share their stories, and I want to learn from their mistakes and learn their tips on making the most of every real estate transaction. If you're a broker looking to add rental income to your portfolio, this is your podcast. Not a real estate professional or just starting out? No worries. This is a high-level discussion and we'll be breaking anything down that gets too technical. I will go on to say that each week I'm hearing from more and more people from all lines of work that are making this podcast a regular part of their week. And I thank you for that so much. I really think that the business insight, learning how to structure deals, or just learning how to invest in general in real estate is the stuff that anyone can benefit from. So go on and hit the subscribe button so you can keep up with the Broker Lord podcast. Today, I'll be talking with Bob Cromwell from Houston, Texas. We could do a whole series of podcasts on Texas real estate, sprawling cities, immense tracts of ranches and farmland, tons of oil money. So settle in. You don't want to miss it. Have you gotten our free Broker Lord t-shirt yet? Stick around. I'll tell you how. Free stuff, great information, what's not to love. But first, a word from our sponsor, because they're the one who makes this podcast possible. The Broken Lord Podcast is brought to you by the commercial real estate professionals at Shannon Walchak. Currently, Shannon Walchak is seeking unanchored retail strip centers in growing metro markets in the South and Midwest. With $75 million in buying power, Shannon Walchak is ready to close on the right properties. The ideal centers are between 10 and 40,000 square feet, are located in affluent neighborhoods, have a high concentration of service and food tenants, and can be bought at a seven cap or better. Do you have a center that fits this profile? Then Derek Walchak wants to talk to you. Email dw at shanwalt.com. That's dw at s-h-a-n. W-A-L-T dot com. Imagine being a developer in a city with no regulations over land use. For most of us, that's simply unheard of. But that's the part of the entrepreneurial spirit that defines Houston, Texas. Today, I'm speaking with Bob Cromwell, who is the managing director of Moody Randman. I want to welcome Bob Cromwell to Broker Lord. Thanks for having me. So before we get started on the, the meat and potatoes of what we'll talk about, your uh, lineage to me is, is it pretty interesting having a couple famous relatives. Who are those relatives? Well, last name being Cromwell, I am a very far descendant of Oliver Cromwell on my dad's side of the family. And on my mom's side of the family, interesting enough, I am the sixth descendant of Davy Crockett, who was involved at the Alibo and, and many other things. But So that's my background. Do you as get far any, as the family, family's concerned. Do you get any royalties off the Crockett name yeah, or the coonskin hat? I, I wish I did, but no, not at all. Okay. But uh, certainly enjoy the outdoors. I think that's where I get that from. <laughs> all right. So so, um, so we're here at a TCN convention. TCN is our network that we're both members of. So tell us about your firm, where you are, and, and what you guys work on and do. Yeah, we're a Houston-based firm, uh, founded actually 50 years ago. So we're celebrating our 50th anniversary this year. Congrats. 
Thank you. Our two founding partners, Dan Moody and Howard Rambin, got together really right out of school. Uh, They built two townhomes, bought a site, built two townhomes, and realized very quickly they weren't going to be residential developers. And they had already purchased more land, so they were scrambling around to figure out what to do. Uh, At the time in Houston, Gerald Hines was building what's called the Galleria, which is a very large mall, and he was building high-rise office buildings around it. Was that the first Galleria? Yes, okay. the, the very first one. And so we had a site very close to that, and Dan Moody and Howard Rambin, they were up in Dallas meeting with an architect, and the architect had built a building for himself, and it had an atrium in the middle of it. And so they expanded on that and built really low-rise buildings, two to three stories, but they had an atrium, a lot of light, more of a in-the-trees nature a little lower cost alternative to mm-hmm. what Gerald Hines was putting up at the time. And so they built 25 office buildings between 1970 and 1983. And so that was kind of the first part of our history. Uh, then the 80s hit uh, Houston and Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had many banks that failed. The RTC basically came in and took over much of the real estate. Uh, we had over 700 banks fail in, in Texas in that little mm. period of time. At the same time, the energy market uh, corrected, and the tax laws changed in 1986. So it wasn't beneficial to, to own commercial real estate. And so at that point in time, basically every office building in the city foreclosed. We were one of the few firms that partnership was still intact. Uh, you know, when everything collapsed, we owned office buildings. Uh, Dan and Howard got the checkbooks out, went down to the banks and started writing checks. Um, and so that's kind of defined our reputation in Houston because mm-hmm. things do get tough. But when they get tough, you, you do the right thing. And so when the life companies called down to their servicers and said, who can I get to manage these assets? Uh, we were one of the few on the scene at the time that were still relevant, uh, had an active management company. And so uh, that's when we really made the transition from full-time development into third-party services, management, leasing. Businesses evolve, and for you to survive, you have to be willing to change. Moody Randman is a great example of that guiding principle, and it shows us that even in a disastrous market like the collapse in the mid-'80s, there are still opportunities for those who have the resources to survive. Uh, I've been with the firm 25 years, and today we're about 100 people. Um, I'd say 50 of those are in the property management uh, mm-hmm. side of the business, and the other 50 are in the production side of the business. We're active in office, industrial, retail. Uh, we don't do anything that you live in, so we don't do multifamily. Uh, we do lot development, but we don't build homes. Since the beginning, when we built all the office buildings, but between, say, 1995 and today, we've built about 3.5 million square feet of retail. Wow. That's great. Congratulations on all that. So what do you do for the firm? I have division heads and industrial, but I still get up every day and and lease office space for owners. And so I have a team of basically nine Mm -hmm. and we handle uh, 38 assets all around Houston. It totals about seven and a half million square feet, Uh, mainly class A and B. We do a few C assets, but but from North Houston to South to West, uh, we pretty much cover all the major submarkets. Obviously, this is about ownership. Right. Um, tell me about the first deal that you actually had ownership in. 
You know, it was one, uh, a client out of uh, Atlanta, they were buying an office building. And when they were interviewing management companies, one of the things they asked is, would we be willing to co-invest or put some equity in with the idea they wanted their their day-to-day operations folks to be have some skin in the game? Mm-hmm. At the time, I wasn't at a period where, you know, I could put up a lot of money. How old were you? I was 27. Okay. And, and so what Mr. Rambin did on our behalf, because as you know, a lot of times when an owner comes in and says, you know, buying the building for X, we need to renew this two tenants. We're going to do some renovations and I'm selling it in 18 months. Mm-hmm. That can make your property manager and engineer a little nervous that this is a very, uh, you know, limited assignment. And do I have to go out and look for another job at the end of this? So what we, Mr. Rambin did was he put up money on all of our behalfs, um, the building engineer near the port or the property manager. So we did have skin in the game. And I put a little more in myself, but it got everybody very focused. And so we got in there, we did the capital uh, projects. We beat the timeline of like six months to four. We were successful in renewing a two-floor tenant and leasing a floor, and we were in and out in 16 months. Wow. Do you remember who that firm was out of Atlanta? Yeah, it's Goddard Investments out of Atlanta. Okay. They're very active. Yeah. Um, they bought a number of buildings over there in Houston. They're active in Florida now. And, and is that is that their MO? Do they still operate where they ask? You know, they've like a lot of folks, they start at that level. They now have raised funds, okay. private funds, where, you know, it's it, it's hard to add partners when sure. you've got a fund environment. But uh, that's how they got going and, and got to know the, the right vendors in the market. Wow. That gave me chills. I love hearing about new ideas on how you motivate people, particularly ideas that I could steal. What an incredible incentive for your team. By giving everyone skin in the deal, everybody got on board and they beat deadlines and exceeded expectations. This business is about a long-term relationship and making room for junior members of your team to buy in. It's a great long-term investment in the people that will help you make money now and in the future. How do you encourage your brokers to own real estate? You know, we talk about it pretty regularly. Um, if you're in your 20s and came out of school and you've got debt, it's it's a tougher conversation. You know, we encourage our brokers to get six months of savings, take the pressure off. You know, again, that's what we try to do on smaller deals, very small units. So if you could put 2000 in and, and turn that into 4000 in a two-year hold, mm-hmm. you look at what you could, if you put that stock market and what that's going to pay, we just encourage them to do that. Um if, if and when they're comfortable with it. And so but what I've found, if I can get you in your early 30s to invest in a deal and see the success, mm-hmm. you're going to pay attention more. You're going to encourage the industrial brokers or whoever in the shop to, hey, let's go find a deal to work on. Uh, it gets a little bit contagious. And as the younger ones come up true. and you know they hear about these successes and man, they made some money on that one, as soon as they're, they have the wherewithal and we have an opportunity. And again, you make the unit small enough, which again, is that also it's hard to manage when you have yeah. 12 people versus five. But we kind of overlooked that to encourage uh, even the smallest units just to get them involved. Interesting neighborhood in Houston called the Heights. Mm-hmm. It was a 12,000 square foot brick building that had uh, land right next to it. Uh, a guy in our office saw the vision of, uh, it was basically storage for an antique company but it was a great location. Uh, the land was going to be the parking lot. We cut windows into the side, and we basically converted it into a 12,000-foot office building. Mm-hmm. We ended up leasing it to a law firm who then turned around and bought it six months later. Again, everybody, 
made money, and we were doing units uh, as small as five thousand dollars. So, okay. some of the ones that are starting early in their career could participate. But, I mean, we still take deals to our clients, uh, but if there's one that's uh, you know, you really like, and there's a story behind it. Uh, we encourage them to bring it in house, and and let's figure it out ourselves. Brokers that are listening to this, you know, they come across these kinds of opportunities all the time, whether it's retail, industrial, office, or even multifamily. Uh, why do you think the majority, and I would say the vast majority of brokers who are seeing these opportunities, don't make the leap into ownership? I, you know, I think uh, you're trained as a broker to do transactions and collect fees. Uh, what I found, because um, I focus on the office side, if I saw a good opportunity, I could take it to my client and ask them, can I participate? Can I put some money in next to you? And and whether they will or they won't, it changes, the, I think, the dynamic between principal and broker. Mm-hmm. If I'm just looking for a commission, well, I could take them 10 deals that I can tell them I think I like. But coming from an owner's perspective, uh, it changes the dynamic in saying, here's the deal. Here's why I like it. Here's the rent growth. And can I put some money in with you? Typically, if they have a fund environment, they can't allow it, but they certainly appreciate you offering. Mm -hmm. Uh, More entrepreneurial owners uh, will look at you and go, you know, you can put as much as you'd like. Yeah. Uh, there is an institutional owner out of New York that wants their local sponsor, manager, leasing agent to put money in. And for them, you know, I asked how much. And they said, well, how much is going to keep you up at night? Yeah. What's like, meaningful? What's meaningful? So it, it, I think it changes the owner-broker dynamic. The nationals and international firms don't encourage that no. internally. So we see it as being a more entrepreneurial firm as, as a way to grab that more entrepreneurial broker who may not in his 20s, but when he hit, hits his peak earning years in his mid-30s on up, he has the ability to put twenty dollars to $100,000 in particular deals. Mm-hmm. And that's just not encouraged or offered in those other environments, which I've never worked for a national firm, so I can't speak to, you know, exactly that experience. But we'll catch brokers that have gone to a big international firm three and four years into it and realizing they've realized that, you know, they're much more entrepreneurial. They don't want to weed through the hierarchy of those Mm -hmm. very large firms. And, And so that's our niche in our market is that we're the large local. We're not governed by New York. We don't have any debt. So we can be as agile and turn on a dime as quick as anybody. So I've always heard about Houston, how there's no zoning. Yes. Okay. So in, in, in a paragraph, how does that work? And then what is the, what do you, what's the end result? The end result, uh, you know, again, not knowing what the founding fathers were thinking, except Houston was, was, you know, founded with entrepreneurs. Um, but they didn't want to put restrictions on anyone. And so where we are today, if you own a piece of land and you've got a plan to build an apartment building, office building, whatever it may be, you can get that through the city planning office in about 60 days and start construction. Wow. So it would compare to, you know, markets with barriers to entry where it takes years to get entitlements, you know, we can get going. And so we, we see that as a, a positive. We embrace it. Uh, but what has happened over Houston's uh, history is that we have a number of incorporated cities within the cities that have okay. restrictions. Yeah. So if you want to be in a zone community, you can go be in a zone community and they'll have height restrictions on the office. So it's not looking down at residential. Um, 
the retail's where the retail's supposed to be. So, but basically around Houston, you can drive down the seat, the street and see a church next to a shopping center, you know, next to an office building. Mm-hmm. And so uh, a lot of folks from outside of Houston who haven't been here before, they, they notice it pretty quick. Right. Um, but then when they go into a master plan community where everything's arranged, they go, this feels more like home. And so uh, there's a large master plan, plan community in uh, North Houston called the Woodlands, 22,000 acres. And they have just finished the last few residential lots. Mm-hmm. But that's where a lot of companies that relocate to Houston end up because it feels more like home. Right. The mall's over here and the retail's over here. It's walkable, you know, amenities over here. All the office buildings are together. The golf course, you know, the homes yeah. around the golf course. And so, uh, and that's why it lands a lot of uh, headquarter relocations. Okay. All right. So what would you say to your 20-year-old self relative to the topics we've discussed here? You know, the one that when I look back on it in my 20s that I didn't, you know, I, it wasn't taught to me until a little later is the long-term value of relationships. I mean, you hear in this business that it's all about relationships, and it, and it truly is. And it's not one and done. Um, I have some clients now that I've worked with for 20 years, and it's because they see the value in working with me, and I do the same, and I look after their back. So if you manage the relationship, grow it, have a trusting relationship, the money comes you know, with transactions, but you're in a a different position than just being, that's my broker too. That's my partner. I like to think we certainly are at Moody Ram and we're training our our young folks. It's about a relationship and the transaction comes versus the opposite of that. And I would also say that I wish I had more opportunities to invest at a young age because I've seen how it compounds. I've seen the returns. And once you get a taste of it, uh, you're going to be looking for those more opportunities because that's where you can really create long-term wealth. Yeah. It's so important because, you know, as brokers, we're, and I say this all the time, we're trading our time for money. Absolutely. That's all you have is time. And if you can create a system where, you know, you have some ownership and 20, 25 years later, it's paid off. And it's income that's coming in. You don't have to do anything else. You almost feel guilty. Absolutely. Um, that's, that's a game changer. It, it really is. All of us that are successful in this business, we, we generate a lot of commission income. And that's great. And that pays the bills. But what's going to you know, build for retirement? Owning real estate long term is going to get you there quicker than a 401k or, mm-hmm. or any other type of savings like that. So we certainly encourage it. Uh, my partner, Dan Moody III, he's got real estate that he's got long term that he wants paid off. He's going to hand it to his kids. Yep. So it's it's what is your long-term plan? Now he's I'm 54, he's 54. Where we stand today is different than when we were 32. I, I did rent homes in my 20. I didn't enjoy the maintenance of those. Uh, sold those. Um, <laughs> I wish I would have started buying small shopping centers, you know, income producing property and be thinking about it at a young age. I see what it is today, but what could it be 15 years from now or 20 years mm-hmm. from now? Uh, that's where we've seen, you know, people basically land bank something that's producing income today. But, you know, hey, when I'm 45, I'm going to knock this down. I'm going to build an apartment yep. complex. What's a deal that you're most proud of where you've had some ownership? You know, probably the one we just finished. Uh, we have a 45-acre, I'd call it a lifestyle center in West Houston, that property values have gotten to the point that the one-story retail, you know, doesn't support the taxes and everything else. So we re- uh, That's amazing. 
It, it, it really is for Houston because we sprawl. And so we actually moved uh, three tenants, demoed a, a site that was uh, it's about four acres, raised the equity. We, we built a 250,000 square foot office building and we delivered in 14, which was kind of the teeth of, you know, the energy correction in Houston. Mm-hmm. We had pre-signed Microsoft to two floors. We had a number of energy firms that disappeared on us at the beginning of 15 that had leases out. We just got off the construction loan. We're going to close here in the next 30 days with MetLife. Uh, so we're going to be paying off our construction lender. Our construction lender is already committed to the next phase that would finish off that mm-hmm. site. So we're going to be building a 170,000 square foot building uh, kicking off this summer. But as far as a kind of soup to nuts, uh, return on equity, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's about a seven times. And really? So, uh, you know, based on some recent trades in the neighborhood. Fantastic. Um, Where are your rents? You know, our rents net uh, are in the 2830 okay. uh, range. But that's one that, that uh, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to replicate just because of the location. Yep. Tell me about a deal you wish you hadn't done. You know, my partner, Dan, has developed all over the country, but he converted a, uh, it was a beer distributor building in Salt Lake City, Utah. It was kind of a bunker, had redundancy, had air conditioning, had all those components for a data center. Mm-hmm. He ended up doing a 10-year lease with WorldCom. Well, I think six months later, WorldCom was bust. Uh, you know, the partnership did not require, uh, you know, Dan, the sponsor, to put any additional equity in. Uh, he went around to the partners, said, I know what the agreement says, but we're, we're putting more equity in. Mm. And so that's a story that, you know, we've had other smaller failures, but that was one where there's a lot of capital committed to the interior construction, and then you just had a tenant that evaporated. And so what they ended up doing, the, the other partners, is basically they got out their checkbook and started writing checks until mm-hmm. they could get the space backfilled. So weren't obligated to do that, but that was the right thing to yeah. do. Did you hear that? It was the right thing to do. You know, contracts and obligations might hold up in court, but quote unquote, the right thing to do, that's what cements lasting relationships. And remember, above all else, real estate is a business based on long-term relationships. So what happens when an employee decides they want to do something that's maybe different or beyond the shop that they're working in? After all, the entrepreneurial spirit that makes us great brokers mean that some will grow and evolve in ways that may not fit your core business. That really is a sign that you're attracting and developing the right talent. That's just part of the business. And quite frankly, it's a sign of a healthy brokerage. In the 25 years I've been with Moody Rambin, we've spun off three developers, you know, that were pure brokers that just turned into, you know, one of them. You know, he was he was uh, had a, a good equity partner and and they were building shopping centers and doing very well. He was in the construct. His partner was in construction business. So they made good, good partnership. But at the end of the day, he was rolling his fees into the equity mm-hmm. and finally got to where we had a very friendly conversation just saying, hey, we love you. You need to go do that. And he went on, is still very successful today. Another one, uh, Kansas City, uh, owner of retail, they basically build um, grocery-anchored retail. And they hired, you know, a 30-something broker from our shop who was doing all their local leasing in Houston, made him a partner. He's since developed four and a half million square feet. And he's, uh, I want to say he's 46. So, and he's got equity positions and all of that. Right. That, That was the hook. 
And then there's another industrial developer who's, you know, he could probably retire today. And he, he was leasing office space with us for about five years and said, I'm going to go do industrial build suits And today he's one of the few industrial developers in Houston that warehouses land. So he can, he can move quick. If someone needs a 600,000 square foot building, he's got land to put it on. So that happens, I think, out of a good, a good brokerage that you're go- that's going to happen over time. So last question for you. Um, if for some reason you were no longer allowed, you lost your real estate license and you just couldn't even be in the industry. You couldn't own, so you're going to pivot and do something completely different. What else would you do? You know, the other business uh, industry that interests me is, is the energy business. Okay. I mean, being from Houston, because we're starting to see the renewables, we're starting to see how hydrocarbons affect uh, the country. Uh-huh. And it interests me in that there's risk, just like real estate. Right. You know, 20 years ago, there were still wildcatters. Now with the technology, they rarely will drill a, a, a dry hole. Okay. It just doesn't happen anymore. So you're seeing how technology has gone into that business. But just from a risk reward standpoint, that's probably the industry that would uh, would pique my interest. Okay. And I'm just curious, you're in Houston. I mean, are there just deals left and right in the oil business? I mean, where people are saying, hey, throw some money in, we got this or that. You know, it's interesting. I I have friends that, again, they, they're in the energy business. And just like on the real estate side, they like to invest. Uh, it is a lot more riskier as far as returns. I mean, when you know you're going to hit a, a good hole, you don't know the life and, and, mm-hmm. and, and how long it's going to last. But what's interesting in, in oil and gas, because we work with some family offices in Houston that have a 10% allocation of their wealth in real estate. Right. Uh, the problem in energy is that if they do it right, there's a 30% return, mm-hmm. 35% return <laughs> compared to a upper teens levered return in an office building. Right. So they kind of look at that and go, you know, I may just sit on cash until the next energy deal comes up. Yeah, yeah. But um, but that's that's an interesting part of the business. And, and being in Houston with a lot of energy wealth, they all have about 10 to 15% in real estate. And so we work a lot with those offices to, they typically want single tenant, long-term, you know, low, no management. Something that they could hold on and manage if they had to. And so they're just kind of parking that until the next big energy deal comes along. But, um, but there's, you know, as you can imagine, there's a lot of wealth in Houston. I'm sure. And um, so that certainly helps, Uh, you know, right now with the energy sector, uh, it's been a bumpy ride since 14, since, you know, OPEC decided to take back market share, uh, we lost 80,000 jobs in the last three years that have not come back. And now it always does. It always looks a little different. But, you know, it's interesting. We're, we're adding 100,000 people a year to Houston. So the, the multifamily market, single-family market, retail, industrial is all doing very well. Well, very good. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Bob. Thanks for having me, Derek. Yeah, this is good. I've been doing this a long time, and I'm not sure I've ever run into a shop that's so focused on developing talent and encouraging their teams to invest, even to the point of covering units for junior members. Several times in our conversation, Bob stressed the importance of long-term relationships and doing what is right. Those are great words. 
I had a situation happen this week where we were about to put a property under contract. The broker had given us uh, really the first look at it and it had been off the market for two to three weeks while we were working on our contract. So we went up to look at the property uh, this week and found that there really are a couple things that were just broken about the property that really weren't fixable. We were going to have to walk, which I always hate to do because this broker, like I said, gave us the first shot at it. And so what we did is when we called the broker, we suggested a couple things that he might could do to kind of solve the problem for a future buyer. Um, hoping to leave a good taste in his mouth as well as the seller. Well, I got an email from the seller later that afternoon just saying, hey, thanks for that. Hate that you're not closing on it, but let's let's definitely stay in touch. So we left that situation where neither one of them were really angry at us. We tried to get the extra mile and kind of proposing a solution. Um, and we just left a good taste in their mouth in a situation that could really kind of turn in where they didn't like us. Um, so your reputation is so important. Don't forget to subscribe to the Broker Lord podcast and share it with your friends and neighbors, even that guy in the next cubicle. We've got some great Broker Lord t-shirts and I'll send you one absolutely free. Getting your free Broker Lord t-shirt is easy. Subscribe to the podcast and review it online. Then email us at Derek at BrokerLord.com. That's D-E-R-E-K at BrokerLord.com. Let us know your size and address and the t-shirt is yours. Supplies are limited, so get your t-shirt today. Got questions? Send an email to Derek at BrokerLord.com. That's Derek with five letters, D-E-R-E-K at BrokerLord.com. I'd love to hear from you. And I also want to say thanks to our sponsor, Shannon Walchek. Until next time, I'm Derek Walchek, and this is the Broker Lord Podcast.